Veil of Humanity is a weekly podcast where we give you a look behind the human-like mask killers wear. Every Friday, your hosts Melanie Yelvington and Kimberly Taylor will tell you about the crimes circling in their heads in a way that puts you right there with them. They will be talking the talk and dissecting the evidence like true detectives. The tales they weave will ensnare you on a journey down a deep, dark hole. So prepare for a peek behind a killer's veil of humanity. Good evening, my crime-crazy people. I know I'm a new voice. My name is Courtney, and I am a producer on the podcast Veil of Humanity. And this is my own little segment where we cover three categories. One, which is called Dead to Rights, where we cover inmates who are or have been on death row. The second is Fugitivist, where we warn you, our listeners, about those on the run from law enforcement all around the world. The last is called Safety, where we tell you about crime charities that help victims of crimes and their families. So let's dive in. The first person we're going to talk about is Amber McLaughlin, age 49. The Missouri Department of Corrections carried out his execution of Amber McLaughlin early Tuesday evening, January 3rd of 2023. She was the first openly transgender inmate to be killed by the state. The execution was carried out at 6.39 p.m. at the Eastern Reception Diagnostic and Correctional Center in Bonnie Terry, Missouri. She was killed by lethal injection. She was declared dead at 6.51 p.m. Mm. McLaughlin was sentenced to death on November 3rd, 2006. So she was in prison for a very long time, waiting to be executed. She was sentenced for the murder of ex-girlfriend Beverly Gunther. Apologies if I botch any of these names. During the trial, prosecutors said McLaughlin, then known as Scott, stalked Gunther, abducted her as she left her job, and stabbed her to death. McLaughlin was convicted of rape and murder in 2005. So not only was she in prison for a very long time, she waited two years to be, be seen in a court. Like, imagine the pain that family must have been in, wondering how long it was going to take before their daughter's murderer would see justice. The jury, which was unable to reach a unanimous decision on the death penalty, so that left the presiding judge to had to make the decision on whether or not to impose the death penalty. And he did. He sentenced McLaughlin to death. Missouri and Indiana are the only two states that allow a judge to impose capital punishment when a jury cannot make a decision. McLaughlin's lawyer, Larry Comp, was quoted saying, It is difficult to comprehend how our fellow citizens were relegated to bystanders by a legal loophole. Well, if they could have made a decision, then the judge wouldn't have to. In agreement with her lawyer is Michelle Smith, a co-director of Missourians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. She says the conscience of the community should be an absolute requirement before an execution should proceed. It is absent here. The judge has a conscience, so it's not absent. She agrees that the loophole make Missouri an extreme outlier and that it reeks of injustice. So, where's the justice for Beverly? Where's her justice? Sometimes uh, life in not. prison is not enough. Sometimes it's not enough. So, what, what, what is someone to do? Moving on. McLaughlin applied for clemency, arguing that she had suffered abuse as a child, had a borderline intellectual disability, and was very remorseful. I'm sure you were. 
It is difficult not to think of Amber as she was as a child, beaten, teased, dirty, and hungry, and wonder how we as a society could not protect her. Amber immediately regretted her actions in killing Ms. Gunther and was tormented by the memory of what she had done, her lawyer, Larry Comp, had said. I'm sure she regretted being caught, not what she had done. Recently, Amber has confronted her impending execution by seeking spiritual renewal with her spiritual advisor and 11 community people who accepted her for who she was. Her effort at renewal stands in stark contrast to the disenchanting nature of her death. That was also said by her lawyer. I, I just, I want to talk about this for a second. Anybody who is facing death is going to have to think back on their life and wonder how they got where they are. Whether it was their fault, someone else's fault, or just life's fault. But life isn't fair. But that doesn't mean you can go and kill someone just because your life was, was not good. If everybody did that, we'd have a lot more murders. A child who's abused does not, does not always become a killer. Then they can live normal lives. So why couldn't you? All I hear is you crying. Woe is me, woe is me. In a statement released that morning, Parsons, the governor, said, McLaughlin, convicted and sentenced remains after multiple thorough examinations of Missouri law, remains on death row. McLaughlin stalked, raped, and murdered Ms. Gunther. McLaughlin is a violent criminal. Ms. Gunther's family and loved ones deserve peace. The state of Missouri will carry out McLaughlin's sentence according to the court's orders and deliver justice. And they did. She's gone. And hopefully that brought the family some peace. Moving on to the next part. And this is our segment, Fugitivus. Margaret Lorraine Smith. She's a white female, 185 pounds, 5 foot 6, born 1-12-1959. She was charged with capital murder, and she should be considered armed and dangerous. We will be adding a picture and her details in the show notes. Margaret Lorraine Smith is charged with hiring a man to kill her husband, George Smith, on August 6, 2007. Investigations determined Smith had lured him to Surfside Beach, Texas, left him sitting at the beach, and the man that she had hired to kill him beat him to death with a metal object. Brutal. So, according to the reports, she had hired someone to kill her husband, and when they found his body, he was brutally beaten. The only way they were able to identify him was through his driver's license. I mean, they thought he was run over by a car at first on the beach. How badly did he have to be beaten for them to think he was hit by a car? Thankfully, he had his driver's license on him because if he didn't, I'm wondering if they would still be able to identify him now. (sighs) Margaret and George had been husband and wife for almost three decades, almost 30 years together and had four kids. They were the co-owners of a popular burger joint in Surfside Beach, but eventually the pair started facing some financial issues and had to close down the restaurant. Their financial situation worsened, and Margaret wanted her husband to sell the property, which was the main bone of contention between the two of them. So she wanted to sell, and he didn't. Scarlett Sears, their daughter, had told CNN, My dad's property at the beach was worth about 3 to $4 million, 
Mrs. Smith, his wife, her mother, wanted him to sell the property to make some money, but he didn't want to sell it. He kept the property because he wanted to pass it down to his children, which is, which is nice. Their issues began to get worse, and she started demanding a divorce in the early 2000s. She also left the family home and started hanging out with a younger man. She had also colored her hair to look younger, started wearing provocative clothing, and chilled with a younger crowd who liked to party and were allegedly involved in drug dealing. She even started to sell her belongings without, his, without her husband's knowledge. She even forged his signature and sold some of his land. Like, wow, lady. Wow. A family friend, Bing Cosby, was quoted saying they had a big fight and he went next door and had his friends make up a will and he changed his will left something left everything to his children got her out of it and had them sign it and said here if something happens to me give it to them like if you thought something was going to happen to you why didn't you at least tell the police i mean it's the police's rule to always look at the spouse first but this would give him even more reason to want to look at her really hard Things worsened, and on the fateful night of August 6, 2007, she lured him there to his favorite Mexican restaurant and had him beaten to death. Stephen Buchanan, a criminal investigator with the Brazoria County, Texas Sheriff's Office, said he loved her and he wanted to get back with her. He would do anything for her. Pretty sure he wouldn't die for her. At least not that. Not like that. The next morning, his body was discovered, and he was very badly beaten. Very badly. When they spoke to Margaret, she was adamant that she knew nothing about his death. She even went on to claim that on the night of August 6th, she and George had a fight. He got drunk. She added that she threw him out of his car while returning home. I'm really hoping the car wasn't moving in her little story. A couple of days later, she called the detective back and said that everything she had told him was a lie. She even apparently confessed to her kids before that she had seen their father be killed in front of her and apparently said nothing to the police. Like, how are you going to confess to your children and not tell the police? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Later, an ex-marine named Dylan Loffrey, Lowry, Sorry if I botched these names again. Who lived near Margaret's boyfriend's place was interrogated in connection to George's death. He said she had said to him that she needed somebody to disappear. Her sister's husband, who was abusing her sister and her sister's children for years now, she had counted out some money and handed it to him. Before adding, and I quote, I told her, well, I didn't want anything to do with whatever it was she had going on, and I tried to give her the money back, and she refused to take the money, told me to just hold on to it. That makes you look so guilty, dude. So guilty. Eventually, Margaret, as well as, well as Laff, Laffrey, both were taken into custody and indicted for capital murder in September 2007. The co-defendant was put on trial and found guilty in 2008 and awarded life behind bars without parole. But Margaret is still free. Margaret, while on bail, cut her ankle monitor and told her probation officer that she'd be at a doctor's appointment. She got a ride from Angleton to Houston, and several days later after that, she was seen picking up some money at a Western Union in San Antonio, 
and she has been on the run ever since. So if you see her, if you know anybody you think might be her, give the office a call. Give the detective's office a call. There is a reward out for her capture. There is a $7,500 reward put out through Texas Crime Stoppers and a $5,000 reward being offered through the Brazoria County Crime Stoppers. You can call the Brazoria County Crime Stoppers at 1-800-460-2222. You can contact the Texas Crime Stoppers at 1-800-252-TIPS. And covering our last little segment, we are covering the charity Safe Horizon. They are a very big, very kind charity. Safe Horizons was founded in 1978 by the New York City court system to provide compassionate and expert support for victims of crime. They are one of the largest charitable organizations for victims of crime in the U.S. They support victims of domestic violence, stalking, which is amazing because a lot of the times police cannot do anything about stalking victims. They can't help you until there's a crime being committed human trafficking, sexual assault, and child abuse. There's various resources you can use, including the anti-trafficking program, domestic violence shelters, and community programs to help crime victims heal, rebuild their lives, and get justice. They also provide confidential one-on-one support and counseling for victims through their hotlines, which is amazing. There's 24-hour hotlines. Each year, they help 250,000 victims of crime and abuse each year. They partner with government agencies to advocate for policies on local, state, and national levels. So, lots of influence. You can donate to them directly to their Safe Horizons through the website. You can also support them by joining their grassroots fundraising programs, Team Horizon. In addition, you can volunteer and follow them and share their social media on like Facebook, Instagram, things like that. You can call them at their 24-hour hotline numbers. Their domestic violent hotline number is 1-800-621-HOPE or 4673. Victims of crime and their families. Call them at 1-866-689-HELP or 4357. Rape and sexual assault victims, 212-227-3000. And for those with hearing impairments, you can call them at 1-866-604-5350. There is always someone there to help. All you have to do is reach out a hand. All you have to do is reach out. You can always get help. There's, There's always a way out. Never think there's no way out. There's always someone there to help you. So please, reach out to them or any other charity. Anybody. Family members, friends, police. There's even anonymous hotlines, so that way, if you don't want to give them your name and you just want to speak to somebody, you can. So please, reach out. To end our little segment, I'm going to end with a quote. Our prime purpose in life is to help others, and if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. Dalai Lama. All right, my crazy crime people. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. To see all of our source material, please consult the show notes. And don't forget to click that subscribe follow button and follow us on our social media at Veil of Humanity Podcast, Instagram, and Facebook.